we've all seen movies where there's a guy shipwrecked and he ends up on the beach and he's all by himself and he needs to get rescued, right? And, and he hangs out there on the beach and he's always looking to the sky or out on the horizon for a boat. And when he sees a plane fly by, what does he do? He, he waves, he yells, right? What an idiot. <laughs> The plane's up there, right? He's yelling, hey, I'm down here, waving his arms. He's, he, maybe, he maybe lights a fire, right? Creates some smoke. He maybe uh, writes SOS on the beach using rocks. He runs up and down the beach waving his arms. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Do you see me? Right? Why? Because he wants to be, yeah, discovered, found, and yet some of us think that if there is a God, he's apparently hiding. I've heard this question over and over. People say, listen, I would believe in God if he would just show himself. If he would just show up and talk to me, I would believe. But if he wants us to know him, why does he seem to be hiding? Why not just reveal himself to us? To which the psalmist answers, the heavens declare the glory of God. God is not hiding. God is revealing himself. And one of the ways he reveals himself is through the firmament. When God said, let there be light, light burst forth on the scene. And it began to travel at what speed? Light speed. Who knows how fast that is? What? What? 186,000 miles per second. The speed of light, for the rest of you fail seventh grade, by the way. Okay, the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. God spoke light and it traveled 186,000 miles per second, filling the darkness, changing the, the backdrop of everything. Now, 186,000 miles per second is fast, but the universe is so large that it's not very helpful for us to describe it in terms of miles or in terms of feet or yards or anything like that. So we describe it in terms of another measuring distance. What is that? A light year, right? And, and a light year, this is it's coming back to you now, right? A light year is how far light travels going 186,000 miles per second, how far it travels in a year, right? How far does light travel in a year? One light year, which is 5.88 trillion miles. That's a light year. 5.88 trillion miles in a year. So if you want to measure the stuff of the universe, put away your measuring stick, put away your tape measure. Don't talk to me about miles. You're going to have to understand light years because a ruler doesn't help you. We have to use a ruler that is 5.88 trillion miles long. And then we talk about multiples of that. Now, in this vast universe that God spoke into being... We live in a tiny little corner of this universe known as the Milky Way galaxy, okay? We live in the Milky Way galaxy. Now, if you're like me, you thought Milky Way was a candy bar. But before it's a candy bar, it's a galaxy. That's where we live. We live in the Milky Way galaxy. This is a picture of our neighborhood, okay? Now, it's not an actual photo 
in the other photos I had up here were real photos. This is not an actual photo of the Milky Way galaxy. Why not? Because we've never been outside of it. We can't get outside of it yet to, to actually look at it as a whole. So instead, what they've done is they've taken hundreds of thousands of photos of the Milky Way from all these different angles. They put it together, and this is what it looks like. Okay? Now, I'm just trying to give you some perspective here. Um, the Milky Way galaxy, our neighborhood, is about 100,000 light years across. 5.88 trillion miles. Okay, so think about it this way. If you live in this corner of the neighborhood, right, and your friend lives in the other corner of the neighborhood, and your cell phone's not working, and you want to go visit, and you just want to cross over to this end of the neighborhood, you're going to have to travel 186,000 miles per second for 100,000 years to visit your friend, okay? That's just the Milky Way. That's just our little galaxy, and our galaxy is not big. It's just one of the galaxies. Now, if you want to know where we are in all of this great expanse, you should know that scientists say that if our solar system, you know, the, the planets that, that orbit our sun, if our solar system... <clears throat> Uh, were the size of a quarter. If our solar system were the size of a quarter, this one galaxy would be the size of North America. That's a lot of light. That's a lot of power. That's a lot of big. And there are hundreds of billions of other galaxies in the known universe. And we can't talk about the universe. We can only talk about the known universe because we haven't seen the ends of the universe yet. Right? Now, how big are you? Really? How big is what you're worrying about this week? Really? It's interesting that to really grapple with that question in the midst of this kind of an expanse. How big am I? Because I really think there's two accurate answers. One is, I am infinitesimally small. I am so small as to be essentially irrelevant in a creation this size. On the other hand, I am infinitely precious to God. And so in his eyes, I am so big that I am worth the death of his son to save me. And there are hundreds of billions of other galaxies in this known universe. And our telescopes are not big enough to see them yet. And God asks this question through the prophet Isaiah, to whom then will you liken me? that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high. See who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. 
Isaiah tells us that God measures the heavens with the span of his hand. That the universe that we haven't been able to measure yet, that universe that we don't know where the ends of it are in any direction. The scripture says, Isaiah 40, 12, it says, he measures that with the span of his hand. That's from the tip of your, of your thumb to the tip of your pinky finger. Now, is that a statement about the bigness of God's hand? No, it has nothing to do with God's hand. God is spirit. When we talk about God's hand, or we talk about God's feet, or we talk about God's wings, or these various things that, God, that Scripture describes God as, we're using analogies, we're using metaphors, because we're talking about one who is wholly other than us, one who we don't have words to describe accurately, one who we don't even understand accurately. But it, it describes, it, it basically says, listen, I know you're a creature, so I'm going to use creaturely words to try to give you some idea of what God is like. Out of all of the universe and all of its vast expanse, God holds up his hand and he can hold the whole thing in his hand. Is that a statement about how big God is? No, because it's not even accurate to say that God is big. There's not a word to describe the bigness of God. Not in English, not in Greek, not in Hebrew, not in Japanese, not in, in Mandarin, not in Spanish. There is not a word to describe the bigness of God because God is immeasurable. He's immeasurable. See, it's not enough to say that God is big or even to say that he's huge or that he's gigantic. The truth is that God is immeasurable because God is infinite. Now, that word infinite is confusing because we say, well, if God is infinite, then, then God is everything and everything is God. There is no limit to God and God encapsulates everything and everything is divine. That is not what it means when it says that God is infinite. One of my favorite authors is A.W. Tozer. If you want to learn about God, read A.W. Tozer. Tozer writes this, whatever God is and all that God is, he is without limit. That's what we mean when we say he's infinite. Whatever God is and all that God is, he is without limit. Our God is limitless and therefore he's immeasurable. That's why he's immeasurable. Measurement has to do with limits. It has to do with where something ends. You remember when you were a kid? Did you have like, like we had in your house, was there a certain doorway where you would stand against the thing and mom would mark with a pencil on the top of your head how tall you were? And you would, uh, my brother and I were racing, right? And, and I would stand on my tiptoes and he would, I don't know, put a bow in his hair or whatever he did. And, and we would have this battle to see who was taller and there would be these marks, Right? Because the mark shows the limit of your height. There's no marks for God. Because there's no limit to God. We, we cannot describe him because he's immeasurable. The God with whom we have to do does not end. He has no limits. So however great you think he is, you're right of his greatness falls short of the truth. That's why we sing that song, how great is our God? There's a question mark there, not, a, not an exclamation point. It's a question mark. When we sing out how great is our God, what we're saying is God is so great that we can't even measure his greatness. We don't know how great he is. 
We're confessing to our own smallness. We're confessing to the limit of our understanding. But God is great beyond anything we could say. However loving you think He is, you don't know half of it. However wise you think He is, you haven't got a clue. However powerful you think He is, you're not even close. When we sing our God is an awesome God, we're right but we're still missing it by light years. <laughs> we, we don't have words for this. We say God is awesome. And we say pizza is awesome. <laughs> and we say, boy, that movie I saw last night was awesome. Well, if, if pizza and movies are awesome, what word is there for God? There is no word for God. That's why often in the scripture, when someone has a vision of heaven, they say, and, and there was other things that, that words cannot utter. There's just no way to describe it. This Jesus, whom we call our friend, he's the creator of all of this. We think about him, we talk about him, we use creature terms because that's all we have. But God is not a creature, he's the creator. And when we picture Jesus, we think of Jesus as a man. And we have a picture in our minds of what he looks like based on pictures or movies that we've seen or whatever. But we too easily forget that Jesus the man is also Jesus the God. He's above all things. He is before all things. There's no one and nothing like him in all of creation. We try our best to describe him, but we always fall short. We may say that God is good, but that doesn't begin to describe him because nobody and nothing is good in the way that God is good. Nobody and nothing is good to the degree that God is good. So we have to admit that even when we try to describe God, we're always falling short. We may say that he lifts us up on eagle's wings, but an eagle with all of its beauty and grandeur and majesty doesn't hold a candle to Jesus. We may say that he shines like the sun, but the sun is like a big lighter compared to Jesus. <clears throat> I want to read to you from Colossians chapter 1. Take, take your Bibles. I know some of you are thinking you weren't going to have to turn any Bible pages today. Well, forget that. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> and in Colossians chapter 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 15. Paul is writing and he's describing Jesus here and he's giving us a theology, a picture of Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Is he just one from heaven? Is he just a prophet? Is he just a good man? Is he just a good teacher? Is he maybe the son of God? Who is this Jesus? Here's what he says, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, before you get confused with him being called the firstborn of all creation, thinking, well, he must be the first one that was created. We're going to see in a second that that's not true. What firstborn means here is it means that he has the position of preeminence, like the, like the eldest son in the family, okay? It doesn't mean that he was born first, that he was created first. Remember, Jesus is uncreated. When Jesus was in Mary's womb and, and became human, he was incarnated, but he already existed before that. He is the uncreated one, 
right? And the way that we know this for sure, among other passages in Scripture, is if we just continue reading where we're reading. Verse 16, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's why when we see those amazing pictures of galaxies spinning, the stars don't just fly off in every direction, but they stay on their course. That's why our, our um, planets in our solar system continue to orbit the sun at a predictable rate. It's because he holds everything he created together. It's why the atoms that make you up as a human being don't just fly off in every direction and you dissolve. It's because he holds everything he created together. He made it, he envisioned it, and he holds it together. That's Jesus. Nothing compares to him. This massive universe that declares his glory, he was, it was created by him, and it was created through him, and it was created for him. That means that he has dominion over everything. He is the king of kings and lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one who was and who is and who is to come, the great I am, Jesus and if he created galaxies, and he created supernovas, and he created black holes, and he created suns, and planets, and beautiful waterfalls, and if he created blades of grass, and if he created the little ladybug that crawls on the blades of grass, and he did it all for one reason, to bring him glory, if all of that is true, then let me ask you, just why in the world did he create? you. If he created everything in creation to sing his praises, if he created everything that exists outside of God himself to bring glory to God himself, then that gives us a pretty good idea of why we were created. If you wonder about your value, if you wonder about your purpose, if you wonder about your dignity, if you wonder whether you really add up to anything, you were created by God to uniquely play your role along with all of the universe. Listen, we walk outside and we look up and see those incredible stars, just the ones we can see in our little galaxy. And we look up and see those stars and we go, wow, God must be amazing. Do you realize how much more intricate you are than one of those stars? You realize how much more significant you are than all of those stars combined? And he created you, uniquely you, with your experiences and your gifts and your knowledge and your understanding and your weaknesses and your scars. And he created you with all of that. And he said, now there you are, go for it. And he calls us to live the lives of significance that he created us to live. Listen, your parents may not have planned you, but you are not an accident. You exist to bring glory to God. 
You may have failed again and again, but failure does not define you. You were created for greatness, and there's nothing greater than bringing glory to God. You may be lost, and you may be confused, and you may may feel like something is definitely missing in your life, and you just might be right. And that's the reason, I know I told you guys a while ago I was going to do this little two-part series called What's Missing, and I tried, I really did. But the more I was thinking about God and His greatness, I thought, you know, if we're going to talk about what's missing, we have to talk about what's really missing. The thing that is missing for so many people, even Christians, that hardly ever gets talked about, the missing ingredient that would change everything in our lives is a right view of God. We don't see Him for who He is. Our God is too small. The God in our minds, the God in our hearts, the God in our experience is this little manageable God who answers to our whims and does what we ask him to do and revolves around us and he's always got his eyes on us and we're all he's ever thinking about. Listen, our God is bigger than we know and still his eyes are always on us and still he cares about every detail of our lives. The most important thing that's missing in our lives is a proper view of God. We just don't think highly enough of Him. As I said before, He's indescribable. I love this. We could do this in so many places, but uh, if you've got your Bible, just turn to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1. Now, as you're turning there, it's right after Lamentations in your Old Testament. As you're turning there, let me give you some perspective so you know what we're talking about. Ezekiel is this Old Testament prophet meaning that God has gifted him with the gift of words. He's a preacher. And his job is to use words in order to help people see God. And God gives him messages and says, go and give this to the people. And so he's seen this vision so that he can give this vision to the people. And in this vision, he sees a bunch of stuff. You can read Ezekiel 1 and, and, and find it. He sees all these, uh, cr- these created creatures in heaven. There are these four creatures that are created that are around the throne of God, and he tries to describe them a little bit. And then we get to verse 26 of Ezekiel chapter 1, and he's going to try to describe God to us. Now, now, just read with me. Verse 26. Now, above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne, like lapis lazuli in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward, something like glowing metal looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire and there was a radiance around him. As the appearance of the rainbow and the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. And then he gives the prophecy. This is how we try. Just go back with me and look at this. He's, this is a guy who makes his living with words. This is an orator. And listen to his description. Verse 26, he he says, over their heads, there was something resembling a throne. He can't even say there was a chair or a big chair or, he can't even say that. It was was some some throne-like. I got the idea that it was a throne or, or some, well, not a throne, but something, you know, that's how he's saying it, right? 
It was something resembling a throne like lapis lazuli, these jewels in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne, he never calls it a throne. <laughs> that, that throne-like thingy, that's basically what he says, right? It's in the Hebrew. You have to go to a seminar, seminary, you get that. Um, there's a throne-like thingy, something that resembles a throne. High up, there's a figure with the appearance of a man. It kind of like he appeared, it was, something, it was kind of man-like in a way. Um, then I noticed from the appearance, he never talks about anything specific. The appearance of his loins and upwards, something like glowing metal, and it looked like fire all around with it. How many likes? It's like talking to a teenager. And he says, and, and from the appearance of his loins all downward, I saw something like fire, and there was radiance around him as the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds. Like, not like a rainbow, that, but kind of in a way. Have you ever seen a rainbow? Like, it was... It was <laughs> you see how he's doing this? I mean, he, he can't even describe what he saw. That's the best he can do. And finally he says, I just fell on my face. I just fell on my face and worshiped, right? Because that's what you do when you see something like that. Guys, our God is indescribable. And I'm coming at this from all sorts of angles, but if you're wondering at this point, what's really the point of this message? I'm going to give it to you. If you're taking notes, here it is. Here's the point. Our God is really, 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 really big. And we are really, 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 really small. And until we get that straight, we are never going to experience the abundant life. Until we understand who he is and who we are. And, and then come to appreciate the relationship we have with him by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. When we come to understand that gigantic gap between us and we realize he loves us. There are no analogies. There's nothing, I, I, I want to say, it would be like if you fell in love with an ant. But that doesn't come close. It's not even close. God loves you. If your mind is not blown, then I hope the person next to you elbows you. And you say, okay, I get it, I get it. God's really awesome, I get it. Uh, he's really big, we're really small. So what? What difference does it make? I have to go to work tomorrow. I gotta go back home and live with that spouse. I gotta go deal with bills. What does this have to do with me? Okay, okay, if I ever get outside the galaxy, I'll take a picture, you know? Why, who cares? So What? Well, I'm not sure I like your attitude, but I'm glad you asked. Because <laughs> I have some thoughts about all that. See, if we can just get dialed into how incredible God is, it will change every practical thing in our lives. Everything. So I'm just, let me just give you an example. Fear. Something we all deal with. One, one way or another, one time or another, we're all dealing with fear. Listen, 
Listen to what the psalmist says. And Psalm 27 begins this way. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Do you see? If we understand who He is, and we understand our relationship to Him, that we have become one with Him, then why in the world am I ever afraid of what anybody or anything can do to me? What can they do to you? Remember Paul in his last days? He said, listen, they're coming. They're going to cut off my head. Ain't it great? Amen. What can they do to me? What can mere man do to me? And, and, and you know, you hang around here enough. I give this to you about every eight weeks or so, but we're going to go to Romans 8 again. Because every time I read it, it makes me want to shout. Romans chapter 8. And I want you to just pick it up. I I wish we could do the whole chapter. I'm just going to give you a glimpse. Romans 8, beginning in verse 31. And what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. You say, wait a minute, I was liking this until the sheep thing. We're being put to death all day long? We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered? That is bad news. That is depressing. That is discouraging. I'm not sure I want to play on this team. Is that really how this works? We're going to be sheep that are led to slaughter. And then he says this, verse 37, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Let him lead us to slaughter. What can mere man do to us? We overwhelmingly conquer. Listen, if you were, God forbid, to be put to death for your faith tomorrow, the moment you breathed your last breath on earth, you would wake up to a victory parade in heaven. What can mere man do to you? You know why? Because we have a God who could put the whole universe in his hand. That's why it matters how big he is. Are we going to live in fear? Are we going to live trusting God? We we could use a million examples. You know what? If I really believe that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and that God will provide the needs of those who follow him according to his riches and glory, if I really believe that, then maybe I would stop living as if accumulating money and things is more important than loving God, loving people, and changing the world. Do you see what a difference it makes? We have to understand who God is. If I really understand how powerful God is, then maybe I wouldn't give up hope on my marriage. Maybe I wouldn't give up hope with my drinking problem. Maybe I wouldn't give up hope with my wayward child. Maybe I would find time to get on my knees and get right with God. If I really believed that He's as big as He is. My friends, 
A high view of God changes everything. Everything. We can rejoice because the one who holds the heavens and commands the stars above is the God who bends to bless us with an unrelenting love. My friends, our view of God is far too low. And that is the source of all our problems. Now I'm going to do something that I really don't like to do. I'm going to stop preaching. (laughs) Because as you think about Ezekiel's vision, and he saw something that was kind of like, and it was maybe a little like, and in a way it reminded me of, and that whole thing. And he was still so unclear as to what he had seen when he saw this vision of God. He still knew who he had seen. And with the limited vision that he had, his only response was to fall flat on his face and worship. And I just don't know a right way to end this message except to invite you to stand and ask you to join us in worship.
up your name with the question, how great are you? You are beyond our imagination, not just beyond our knowledge, but you are not beyond our reach. (laughs) By your amazing grace, you have come to us, revealing yourself in the person of Jesus Christ, restoring us to you through his death and resurrection. You have made all things new. You are still creating. What an awesome God you are. We give you all the praise. And we pray that somehow, Lord, the the light of your radiance would dwell in us. That the world might see us. And not say that they had seen God, but say, I saw something in appearance that was like something that was kind of reminded me of God. Lord, let us remind people of you. You deserve all glory, all honor, and all praise. That's why we call you Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. As you go, remember, our God is awesome.